0: brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.
1: Well-rounded Bible teaching around the clock. On the way. 101.1 Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars
0: and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Welcome in, everyone, to our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, February 5th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, uh, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville. I almost said I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville. That's we'll, funny. We'll power I'm all my word. I'm Greg Hilt, and we appreciate you carving out an hour out of your Friday afternoon to listen. <laughs> or maybe you're listening to this podcast, episode 155 through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher, and we appreciate you doing that as well. Uh, so, Pastor Mark, you having a good day? I'm having a great day. Okay. Great That's, day. That is always good to hear. Yeah. We've got lots of good articles to get to, but before we do that, have got mail. We have a great listener question that yep. came to us from Lauren. Uh, Lauren used our brand new website, great. thewaymedia.net, and so we invite you to do that as well. That is the new home for signs of the times and the science.org will eventually just redirect you there anyway. Yep. So you might as well get that or bottom of the app. And, and I was going to say, or you could take signs of the times on new. the go with you. Yep. Uh, just download the way media app. You can search for that on the uh, Apple app store or the google play store yeah. uh, available and hopefully some other things uh, coming in the very near future i'm not gonna let the cat out of the bag but once we got those nailed down yeah. just more exciting ways that we can reach people with the word fun of God. stuff yes yeah. anyway in our new uh listener question form uh we have the opportunity to ask where people are listening from Great. it's not required for you to do that but it's always uh, uh fun for us to know where our listeners are coming from yeah. and lauren lives in virginia And Lauren's question, Pastor Mark, is about the feasts of Israel. Right. She says, I've been doing some research about the feasts of Israel and how four of those feasts were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. The fifth feast, the Feast of Trumpets, seemingly aligns with the rapture. If I understand correctly, in the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Trumpets aligns with Rosh Hashanah, to resemble new beginnings and the new year. This occurs every September. While we won't know the day or the hour of the rapture, can we look with anticipation to September? that Jesus may be coming then.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Great question. And, and, and Lauren, really, you're very, um, you know, studying the feast. And, <laughs> that's um, fantastic. Yeah, it is. You never, hear, you
0: never hear about that.
2: Yeah, but you're right on. And so I want to take a minute to kind of just briefly talk about the feast and then get to your question because it's a great question. And as always, whenever there's a question, there's a lot more out there who have the same question. The Feast of Israel, we now know, are a prophetic picture of the end times. How do we know that? By looking back. You know, we didn't know that when God gave them course you know we weren't here but you get my point they didn't know that when God gave them to Moses um, because they were just uh, markers if you will memorials of a celebration of each of these events to remind the nation of Israel of what God had done for them and, and we need those reminders and so but now we know looking back the feast actually represent um, really moments in time of, of what God is doing prophetically and we see a picture of the feast all the way through to the end of Jesus Christ coming back in the second coming so you're exactly right about your observation. And so let's work up to yours in the seven feasts and discuss each one and when they were, for, uh, were fulfilled. Um, Easy and, for you to say. Yeah. Um, and you find it in Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, it talks about the feasts of the Lord. And it's interesting. Some of them, it's interesting. They're called the feasts of the Lord. But really, the first one is almost, it's not really even a feast. Um, it, it, it's the Sabbath day. But they consider that one of the feasts of the Lord, the Sabbath being established. Um, and so that's the very first one he talks about. Here are the feasts that they'll follow. He says there in verse 3 of 23, six days, uh, six days work shall be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it uh, uh, on, you know, for the Lord in all your dwellings. And so it's just a day of rest, but it's it's included in the Feast of Israel, uh, inter- interestingly enough. Now, again, it is an ongoing thing for the Jews, but really the feast was fulfilled uh, when Jesus came. The Sabbath was fulfilled because the Bible tells us in the New Testament, he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. So that was really fulfilled when he came to be our Savior, to be our Sabbath. That one was fulfilled at that moment. And then you go on to the Passover and Unleavened Bread. Uh, the, the feast here of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover, they're kind of closely linked together. Um, and really, I mean, uh, almost one and the same. You have Unleavened Bread and the Passover right afterwards. And in Unleavened Bread, it was this whole picture of getting rid of all the leaven out of your life. Leaven is a picture in Scripture of sin and so the lord said remember a little leaven leavens the whole lump is what the scripture says that's rather what paul said but the lord said again beware of the leaven of the sadducees and pharisees their false teaching if you will so there's that whole picture of it being sin so when the lord went to the cross he paid for our sins that was unleavened being fulfilled if you will and then of course the sins taken away then it runs right into immediately after that the passover Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. So now we saw unleavened fulfilled through what Jesus did on the cross. We saw the Passover fulfilled and what Jesus did on the cross. Three days later, if you get go on in the chapter, you'll find there was the uh, feast of weeks. They call it uh, feast of first fruits, rather. I'm sorry, feast of first fruits. And that's where they would bring from their fields. When the first crops came up, they would cut the very first of their crops, bring them to the temple, to the priest and offer them. And it was a first fruit offering. We see three days after the Passover, Jesus resurrected from the dead, the Bible says, as the first fruits for all who will resurrect. So now we had Jesus fulfilling the Feast of first fruits in the resurrection from the dead three days later. And by the way, note this, on each of these, they happened on the very day and the very moment that they were uh, uh, supposed to happen. So unleavened was fulfilled on unleavened. Passover was fulfilled on Passover. Uh, Feast of Firstfruits was fulfilled on Feast of Firstfruits. So it's important to note that as we look at these uh, and, and kind of run down this line on them, because the next one you come to is the Feast of Weeks. And that, of course, is the one we call the Feast of Pentecost. And this came again uh, seven weeks later. Uh, you'd have the Feast of Pentecost, and it was when the full harvest had come in. Remember, you had first fruits, and they offered the very first sprigs that were coming up. Then you had the actual crop coming in where they would go and harvest the crops and and that was the celebration that God has been faithful to give us everything He said He would. Here's the crop, and now we're having the harvest. Well, what's interesting about that is what happened on that particular date of the feast of uh, of you know weeks, if you will, when the feast of Pentecost. On that very day is when the Bible says the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and the church was born. So, again, fulfilled on the very time of that feast. So, you're right. The first ones have been fulfilled here right down the line. uh, And on the time they were supposed to be fulfilled. So, when you see that pattern, and now we look back prophetically, we recognize God is doing something here following this pattern of fulfilling these feasts prophetically. And he's doing it in the same order they are given and literally at the time they're supposed to be. So, this is very exciting because the next one does indeed uh, come In the fall that is the uh, feast of trumpets the one you're talking about that you've asked about here in this question and that means prophetically the next feast to take place because these first ones have now been fulfilled they're done you check them off the list the next one to be prophetically fulfilled is the feast of trumpets now what's what was the feast of trumpets again it was in the fall. And it was typically in September. I don't know if it ever falls outside of September. I need to maybe check that. It, the reason I say that, uh, uh, Lauren, is that the Jewish calendar, the religious calendar, works on a 30-day rotation. It's not your normal calendar like the uh, civil calendar. They, they have a civil calendar so they can be in line with everyone else in the world on their calendar. And then they have what they call a religious calendar is based on what God told them they would function as a nation. So on the religious calendar, yes, September is pretty much when this falls, and it's the Feast of Trumpets. Now, what's interesting about the Feast of Trumpets, the next feast in line, it's a very mysterious feast. Even the rabbis back in that day and today will tell you, we don't really know what this feast is for. We don't know what it represents. They don't understand. Now, they have a series of trumpet blasts that they blow, and there's multiple trumpet blasts that they blow throughout this time of the Feast of Trumpets. And when they come to the last trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets, then at that point they are to all have a convocation and worship the Lord and praise the Lord and, and you know just stop what they're doing, so to speak, and, and and praise the Lord and worship Him. What's interesting about that is that when you read about the rapture of the church, it talks about uh, the Feast of Trumpets is the fulfillment of that. It talks about, you heard the trumpet blast, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the, of, the, of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet, and then the dead in Christ arise first, those of us who, alive, who are alive and remain will rise together to meet the Lord in the air. And so that's when the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled. So, yes, it does represent something prophetic. It does represent the rapture of the church, I believe. And it is the very next feast to take place. What's, another exciting thing about that is that what that means is before the other prophetic feasts can be fulfilled, we have to be raptured. The rapture of the church has to take place. Before these other fulfillments. And that's exciting in, in knowing that it's kind of holding things up from moving forward. Which means we're that much closer. And God's got to deal with that one before we move on. Now getting to the question. And let me go on with the other two feasts. And then we'll get back to uh, d- will this necessarily fall in September. The next one after that is the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the feast where once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would offer blood on the um, altar and then also inside the at the Holy of Holies, at the um, Ark of the Covenant, he would offer the blood for the whole nation as a whole. And so, if God accepted that offering, the nation was forgiven. If God didn't accept that offering, the nation was to face God's judgment. So the priest would have to first get himself clean. Then he would go in, and make his own sacrifices for himself. Then he would go in and make that offering. And so, basically, it's what we would call a feast of of payday. And that is, if you don't if if you don't let God pay for it by blood, if you don't repent and let the blood cover it, you're going to have to pay for it. Now what does this feast represent this represents the great tribulation which is the next thing to happen after the rapture of the church and why do I say and call it payday because here's how this works if mankind if we let the blood of Jesus Christ wash us clean of our sin and his blood pays on the Ark of the Covenant so to speak what he did on the cross the sacrifice that he made for us it's a done deal we're forgiven no judgment coming. But if we choose to pay that ourselves, if we reject what he's done on the cross and we don't receive what he's done on the cross and his blood, then we have to pay it, which means those will be left behind who don't let his blood pay for them. They'll be left behind when the rapture happens. And now, you know, it's like, OK, you didn't let me pay for your sin. Now you're going to pay for it. And he starts pouring out his wrath that they might pay their own fee, so to speak, for the sin. Um, of course, people will be getting saved during that time. But that's the picture of what's happening there on the Day of Atonement. And the last feast uh, again lines up perfectly prophetically because we know that after the rapture of the church and then after the great tribulation or payday if you will comes the feast of tabernacles and that speaks of God living among us uh, when they had again traveled through the wilderness the Bible tells us that God tabernacled among them he lived among them so Again, what does this one represent and when will it be fulfilled? It represents the second coming of Christ. He will come to the earth. He will tabernacle among us. It will be fulfilled at that moment. And thus all seven feasts, which is interesting, the number seven is the number of completion in Scripture. All seven feasts will then be fulfilled. Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, will be ruling and reigning with him. And now you have the fulfillment of all the feasts and that prophetic picture of how they line up. Now, we, I think we needed that background before we jump into the question a little more in more detail about, will it, you know, occur in September. I personally believe it will occur right around the time of the Feast of Trumpets and probably actually on the time of the Feast of Trumpets. But let me give this a caveat. I don't know that we know exactly when that day is going to be. And Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. And you might be thinking, but wait, we do know the day. If we know, look at the Jewish calendar, what it's going to be. Here's my point. I don't think the Jewish calendar is exactly correct. I don't think the Jews know when that day actually falls because you would have to be able to go back um, to Adam and Eve in the garden and do the 30 day calendar. I know how to do that to have the exact day that September that it falls on because the way the calendar rotates. But I still believe it will be at the time of the Feast of Trumpets of what that accurate day is on God's prophetic time clock. We just won't know it, so we won't know the day or the hour. But he did say we should know the season. And so I do believe the season will be around September. I do believe the rapture will happen sometime around there. I may be wrong on that. We need to be ready at any moment. He may make us think it's going to happen then because he wants to come today and he said nobody will know so he may surprise us so don't depend on it being in september that is if you're out there listing not Lauren, but others out there listing and they well I've got at least till september let's party up and then I'll get right to the first of september no it doesn't work that way he may come any moment but yes i do believe greg personally believe it's going to be right around and at the actual time of the feast of
0: trumpets and that could line up Against our Gregorian calendar, maybe at the end of August or in October, depending on how that time shifts yeah. in relation. And also, too, I was thinking about when you shared about the, the Feast of Trumpets, isn't the actual execution of that feast dependent upon the high priest that year to actually determine when to blow the trumpet? Because because part of that feast is kind of like this. It It's like when you hear the trumpets. Yeah. That is, but but the determining of when the trumpet blows. Yeah,
2: I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe you're right okay. on that one. I don't know if I remember that specific detail. Maybe I've even studied that in the past and don't remember that, Greg. As far as that detail, but I do know there is a time frame when it's to happen within this time. Yeah, and they do again have all these different trumpet blasts that blow, and um, and so I don't know the specifics. You know, there's it's hard to sometimes get all the details about these feasts, even when you go to guys like Edersheim and these Jewish yes. historians. Yeah, as far as the timing, all I know is. For sure, all I know is, is that on the Feast of Trumpets, it is the most mysterious feast of them all. Right. They don't exactly know what it represents or why it's there. Um, and yet they know that it represents this trumpet blast. And at the final trumpet blast, everybody comes from a congregation to worship the Lord, even as the trumpet blast is going to be. And we're all going to congregate with Jesus in the clouds, in the air. And um, and then we go to be with him until the other feasts take place. So um, it, it is kind of a mysterious um to the jew very mysterious a little bit mysterious to us even though we know what it represents again we don't know the day or the hour but i do think we will know the season and i do believe because of god's pattern that it's going to be right around that actual time of the real feast of trumpets but i run a risk on that in two ways number one like i said i don't think you can nail the de- the day down i think there's a reason because of the calendars and really knowing what the you know the flood messed and, what, everything it re- and up.
0: what it represents
2: yeah yeah so so it's it's kind of hard to nail that down. Plus, you also you know want to be careful. The Lord said, "I'm coming at an hour you do not expect." He's very specific to say an hour you don't expect, coming out a time you don't expect, um, coming out a day you don't expect, or whatever. But he doesn't say we won't know that it's a certain feast or a certain you know moment. So I do think we need to be ready. I think we need to be excited and anticipatory around that feast time in September. But at the same time, I think it's a mistake to limit God to say he can't come anytime except then because that might be a surprise we're going to find out there may be more mystery to this feast than we know and it might happen at a different time than would normally normally happen you know one of the things Greg that came up just recently uh, somebody asking me about or talking about rather the mid-trib position of rapture or whatever Um, And there's a lot of reasons that I don't believe that's possible. I'm going to touch on one just briefly this Sunday as we recap things, Um, you know, as far as that goes, because nobody knows you you can't know the day or the hour of when that's going to be. Yeah. And we can't know when the rapture is going to be. But at the same time, we have to have this awareness that, you know, he said, if anybody says I'm delaying my coming, that's a wicked servant. Mm. So I don't want to say I don't want to be called a wicked servant. So I don't want to say that for sure the rapture can't happen until September, because then in essence, I would be saying he's delaying his coming. I can't say that he could come right now. And that's another reason that I object to the mid-trib and the post-trib, because the only position you can take on mid-trib and post-trib is he's delaying his coming. You have to take that position. You have to say, I believe the Lord is delaying his coming until the mid-trib, or I believe the Lord is delaying his coming until the post-trib at the very end. The problem with that is you're putting yourself under that definition of the wicked servant because it's the wicked servant that says the Lord is delaying his coming. So I'm never going to put myself there. I'm not saying that people that are putting themselves there know they're even doing it. I don't know. They've thought it through, but that's a place I'm never going to go. And even with a question like this, I personally believe it will be sometime in the fall because of the other feasts and the pattern that the Lord has followed. But am I going to say that it couldn't be today? No way, because I'm not going to be under that category of the wicked servant.
0: <laughs> you know, all the feasts are very exacting in terms of their time, with yes. the exception of the Feast of Trumpets. So That's right. It's, it, it fits in prophetically. Pastor Mark, if you can uh, mention to our listeners what book of the Bible, if we've piqued some interest in people studying yeah. about the feast, um, where can they go and read in the Old Testament, yeah. in the Pentateuch, and uh, and maybe a companion book that's uh, absolutely that that it goes into a lot more of the the detail in terms of the culture and stuff to supplement what the word is saying
2: absolutely I'll give you some scripture in two books number one what we just looked at I didn't read all of it I just touched on the headlines but Leviticus chapter 23 talks about the feast and if you start there and cross reference all the things from there a lot of your Bibles will have a cross reference to the passages in there if you've got what's called the Treasury of Scripture knowledge if you don't look up online. A book called Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. You can look it up online and actually look up words or look up different passages and find everything that relates to Leviticus 23. But that's your main chapter on the feasts as far as how they're to be done. And that's what we discovered. And that's, again, the layout of the order of them and, and how they fall and where they are. The books I would recommend, again, a man by the name of Edersheim, a Jewish historian, saved Jewish historian, Alfred Edersheim. Does some fantastic works. He's got a great uh, Jesus Christ uh, Jesus Christ the Messiah of the times the life and times of Jesus the Messiah is the actual name of the book. It covers the Gospels. That's a fantastic Gospel book if you want to get good historical background. But he also does one called the temple and um, um and Jewish social life. So look up Alfred Edersheim. The temple would be the main one you would want because it talks about the priests their duties what they did in the feast how they did them. Again, you don't get every detail about it, which I, I don't. I wish I knew a book that went into greater detail mm. on some of these. I've done a lot of research on the feasts and on the priests and and you know the, the temple. Obviously, read that and done other you know studies and stuff. It's hard to get every detail. I seem to find them in different places. I, can't, I don't know if one that brings it all together in that full picture, and there may be one out there. I wish I knew about it because I'd probably buy it as well, mm-hmm. but the temple is going to be a fantastic book for you to get, Lauren, and anybody else that has interest in things like the feast or just Jewish uh, temple life, really, yeah. and how things operated. And then um, uh, Jewish social life, Edersheim as well, gives a lot of great background on how they lived their life, what they did, and it really brings to life... A lot of the things Jesus said and a lot of the, you know, you get a picture of, of what it meant when he said certain things. You you read the passages about how they operated socially, and it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, Leviticus 23, the temple, and Jewish social life would be some great resources if you want more study in that. And it's a fascinating study. Yeah.
0: I've got a follow-up question because you mentioned the, the Feast of Tabernacles and what that represents prophetically, which yes. is the millennial reign. That's
2: right. Thousand-year reign.
0: And it just hit me. After the seven years of the great tribulation and essentially the judgment. Yeah. And you would think at that point we could close the book and just hang out in heaven. Right. But yet God is going to continue to sustain the earth for another thousand years. Right. With Jesus ruling as the king why is that why not just if we've dealt with sin and all of that and he's come back he's taken care of the devil and his fallen angels um and i know that they're temporarily taken care of for the thousand years and then permanently taken care of at right. the end of the thousand but why not just permanently take care of it then and let's be done with all of it yeah what is what is god wanting to do During that thousand years, right?
2: Well, there's a lot of things he wants to do beyond what I'm going to mention here, Greg. Um, But I'll say the main key here is that God made a promise to his son in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And this comes back to the famous Christmas verse we always think of. Mm. But this is not just about him ruling and reigning for eternity. This is specifically about his ruling and reigning on this earth, which has never happened. And it says this, as our listeners will know, you'll recognize this verse very well. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and his kingdom. There's several things to note here. Number one. God said, I'm going to put the world under submission to you. You're going to actually rule as king of the world, not just spiritually and not just come and visit to die for mankind. You're going to go back and you're going to sit on a physical throne and rule over it. That's a promise he made to his son. So Jesus is going going to get to enjoy this world for a thousand years, ruling it the way it was supposed to be. Mm. And we're going to get to enjoy that with him. But now, Greg, this is cool because it never really jumped out to me the way it did just now until you ask that question Mm. and that is it goes on to say and the increase of his government will not cease this is the beginning of his rulership over the earth it will go through the millennial kingdom and then it will increase to the eternal throne that will last forever in the kingdom of God so the increase of his government in other words once he starts ruling in a physical sense it'll never stop Mm. it just changes from the physical over into the new heaven and the new earth and the spiritual of course they'll both be spiritual but again that physical has got to be played out first in in the spirit so um yeah he's gonna god's promised it to him he's gonna rule and reign and boy when you watch what's happening today in our government system aren't you excited to know there's going to be someone ruling and reigning where everything will be righteous everything will be fair everything will be right and the lord's going to be running it all i can't wait for that day so yeah it's an exciting thing to look forward to and um that is I, I believe it's a lot closer than we think. Yeah. You know, I, I um, you know, I, again, I'll, I'll put a teaser out there for our listeners to think about. Again, you want to do your own homework and your own research. It's interesting. God does use this whole seven as a picture here of completion. And if you believe the Bible literally, um, he talks about, you know, again, I believe there's going to be 6,000 years of the earth being as it is and a thousand year reign of Christ. I think at the end of that thousand years of Christ, you've got a full 7,000 years Well, if that's the case, it doesn't take a genius, although we don't know the exact dates. It doesn't take a genius to figure out we're screaming up on 6,000 years, which means at some point very soon, the Lord's going to take that throne and take that position. We don't know when that is, but I'll tell you this. We do know that it's close and we should be ready and we should be excited.
0: And that's the difference between the Gregorian calendar of three hundred and sixty-five day years, right. and In the Jewish calendar, which I think is three hundred and sixty yes. days. The religious calendar sorry,
2: is three hundred and sixty. Yes, three hundred and
0: sixty days in a year. Gregorian is three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. Yes. So, the the five day difference over how many thousands of years exactly. Could, Maybe be the shift. We, I mean,
2: yeah, again, it's hard again, because it changes who knows what the exact, again, I think that's what keeps us from knowing the exact day in September, which means still, it still opens the door to me to believe we can still look toward that time of year for the rapture of the church. But at the same time, this could be a trick. And there may be something he hadn't revealed to us because he said
0: yes, no, one, no know. one knows
2: the day or the hour. Again, I, I, he specifically yeah. said day or hour. He didn't know week. He didn't say you wouldn't know the week. He didn't say you wouldn't know the season. So you could get more specific. But rather than splitting hairs here, I think the bottom line is, is there's reason to be excited around September. But there's also reason to be excited right now. Because since we don't know the day or the hour and we don't know the exactly he'll follow that same pattern through all these feasts, even though he's done it up till now. And I think mm-hmm. we can make a pretty good educated spiritual guess. He's going to be similar to that. Yeah. I think we still need to be ready. We don't need to be like the wicked servant that says the Lord's delaying his coming. So don't worry about it right now. Do what you want. We need to say, you know what? He may come back this afternoon. And then we have to ask ourselves, <laughs> are we ready? Yeah. If he does come back this afternoon, I would challenge our listeners right now as we come up to the close of the first half, are you ready? If the Lord came back right now, are you ready to go? And not only are you ready to go, but would you stand before the Lord ashamed or would you stand before the Lord rejoicing because of how you're living and what you're doing or not doing at this time in your life? And so I think it's, it's a very, you know, that's why the Bible says that looking to the rapture and, and holiness, they're purifying factors because when we don't know when he might show up, we're living more yeah. pure. You know, you're a kid, your parents go away and you don't know exactly when they're coming back from their date or whatever. If you've been doing something that you shouldn't do, you make sure you get it right before they come back. That's so right. let's That's get right. it right guys before Absolutely. he comes back.
0: Absolutely. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for your question. We hope that was answered and we enjoyed the discussion that uh, stemmed from your question. And if you've got a question like Lauren, we invite you to visit net and just click on Signs of the Times and you'll see uh, ask a prophecy question. Just click on that. We've also got an FAQ section on our website uh, where we might have already answered your question. So we invite you to read the questions and answers there before you send that question in to us. And we always enjoy receiving your prophecy questions because, as Pastor Mark said at the beginning of this, that uh, Lawrence asked a question, but there could be a lot of other people that have that same question, and so you just get to be the person to ask the question for everyone else that has the same, and we certainly do enjoying that because it's iron sharpening iron as we discuss the prophetic word of God. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for the first half of our program, but when we come back, we are going to listen to the Iranian Ayatollah. And apparently he says that he wants to make peace with Israel and he even wants to pray with the Jews at the Western Wall. The question is, do we believe him? What's the motive? And where is the Bible prophecy in all of this? That's just one of the many articles that we will discuss as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: W-I-A-M-L-P 101.1 FM, Knoxville If you're in debt, it's tempting to think that simply borrowing just a little more will
2: solve your problem Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown Today, Crown's
1: founder, Larry Burkett says that becoming debt-free actually takes a lot of work Many times, by the way in working with a family that's in debt let me just kind of give you a set of principles in case you're working with anybody Don't give them any money You find out how they're spending their money first. So first thing we do is have them develop a budget, and we'll take a look at it. That shows us exactly what they're spending. The second thing we do is find out exactly what they owe. Then we take all the creditors, and we order them by percentage, you know, the largest to the smallest creditor. We take their budget and try to shrink down their spending to a point where they can make it but not spend frivolously. Now, we don't cut out everything in their budget. We don't cut out savings. You've got to have a savings account or you're going to be right back into debt. We don't cut out entertainment and recreation because you cannot go through an entire year with no entertainment and recreation in your budget. We just reduce them down to a reasonable amount. Give the taxes first because that belongs to the government. Give God's portion first because that belongs to God. Take the rest, shrink the family spending, and then whatever is left over goes to the creditors. And then we ask them, Take your credit cards and destroy them. Live without credit. Decide today, do you trust God or do you just say that you trust God? Because from this point on, you're gonna put your impulses, your indulgences, even your necessities under God's hand. If you're struggling with credit card debt and unable to give as you desire, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They can create a debt management plan
2: just for you. For more information, call the Crown Helpline. 800 722 1976 or visit online at crown.org/slash
0: CCC. A moment of grace with Ed Taylor. What Tobiah, or what we have seen, what fleshly, what you know it's not from God, you know it's not for Him, you know it. What has what Tobiah has wormed its way into the center of your life? What's cluttering your life from living fully in the Spirit? And it's been said that many, many believers have so little room for the work of the Spirit of God because they've allowed so many other things to crowd into their lives. So many fleshly things. Church, I beg you, consider this and rise above. You don't want to settle for low fleshly living. For more
1: biblical encouragement, to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, February 5th, 2021. This is episode 155. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, Pastor Mark Kirk on the other side of the glass. You can probably see him as we are streaming live on YouTube. And by the way, all of these episodes for signs of the times are available in the way media app. So you can actually watch the video replay uh, that we will post there as well. And you can also read the articles that we discuss uh, that will also be posted with each podcast inside the app for thewaymedia.net. Just click on shows. So before we get to articles, Pastor Mark, you wanted to uh, touch base on, um, the feasts one not. Just I'm going to make
2: an additional comment because, again, there's two views. I mentioned about the Sabbath being the first feast. Some people break up the unleavened bread and Passover into two feasts and leave the Sabbath out. So there's different viewpoints on that. The reason that oftentimes unleaven is linked to the Passover is they literally are tied together. In order to celebrate the Passover, you've got to get all the unleaven out of your house. So a lot of people link those two together as one and then include the Sabbath as a feast, although it's not a feast in the sense of literally. Um, So that's why I mention it that way. But there are those that also just see basically starting with the unleavened bread and moving through there being the seven feasts, which may actually be uh, the more accurate. But those are the two different things you'll hear when you're looking out there. And I want our listeners to know as you do your research and as you do your homework.
0: Good enough. All right, Pastor Mark. Let's uh, go to Israel, which you love will to. be physically. I hope to
2: in May. We in hope May, to. that's right. Yes. Is there any room left on that trip? There is. anybody wants to join the last minute? Call us up. Uh, okay. This Sunday Just is uh, the deadline. So, um,
0: uh, Caleb, is that still on the website? Okay, uh, just go to the church's website for that. That's calvarynoxville.org, and you can get information if you would like to jump on the trip at the last moment. There is plenty of room, according to Pastor Mark, so check out all the details there. All right, uh, this is from Israel365news.com. The Iranian Ayatollah says, I want peace with Israel and to pray with them at the Western Wall wink wink
2: well maybe but let me share something greg and this okay. is something to maybe educate our listeners yeah. on we always think about the ayatollah as this one guy in israel but an ayatollah can be numbers of people they're just high-ranking what we call high-ranking pastors
0: Would be Oh, I-, I always thought that was like the president of the no they're like ayatollahs oh. they're
2: like ayatollahs over in iran interesting so this is a specific iranian ayatollah and it says his name is abdul hamid musumi Tehrani. Uh, he's a prominent cleric, or we'd say prominent pastor in the way we view things. He was already considered an iconoclast in Iran, iconoclast, rather, in Iran, but he broke several major taboos this week, leading to the official removal of his title. So he's no longer called over there an Ayatollah because oh, so of this. so he's a rebel. He's been snubbed, a very public snub of the Islamic regime, uh, Masumi Tarani was interviewed on Israel Channel 12 News last Monday. This guy, I don't know that he's a believer, but this guy's open to the things of God. Mm. In the, he wouldn't have been on Channel 12 with Israel. In the interview, he called for peace with Israel, telling other ayatollahs, and I quote: "Stop inventing enemies that do not exist." Uh oh. I wonder if this guy got saved in his undercover sure believer. sounds like right. I mean, it, it's right? really Yeah, he insisted that. And I quote: "The Iranians and Jews have many years of friendship. I have not met any Iranians who had a negative opinion of Israel. We have a problem not with Israel and not with other countries of the world." He added.
0: And um, a problem with we don't. Government. Sorry, we
2: don't have a problem. Uh, Not with Israel and not with any country in the world. He added. I'm sorry. He was asked if he feared for his life as a result of the interview to which he replied. I've been speaking clearly for 20 years. If they don't like that, I'm talking to you or anyone else. It's their problem. This guy's gutsy. Wow. This guy's gutsy. And I, I think, look, I think he's sincere, Greg. And I think we may have like a secret believer here. I don't know. He goes on and says, if I stay alive with God's help, I would like to see the day when the illogical hostility between Iran and Israel will end going on to say that he long held the dream of traveling to Jerusalem in order to pray at the Western Wall.
0: Who desires that?
2: I, again, I look at this guy and i like, we may have a guy that God came in there and just saved this guy mm. and he's not telling it because he knows that means he's going to get his head lopped off, yeah. but he's starting to fight for the things of God behind the scenes. We don't know, but if, if you think about it, pray for Ayatollah Hamid Musami Tarani. Yeah, I can't remember that. Just pray for the Ayatollah over there that looks like he may know the <laughs> Lord. God knows who you're <laughs> talking about, but you know what? Uh, you know, if he knows the Lord, you know, bless his, bless his brother. And if not, I pray that God brings him into the kingdom.
0: Well, let's think about it. We've covered articles in the past here on Science of the Times uh, that talk about the underground church in Iran and how many people over there have given their lives to Jesus. How many people Jesus has came and visited them in their dreams. That's right to share himself. That's right. And they con- and they've they've given their lives to Christ yeah. as a result of that. So maybe he maybe this guy ran into some of those folks and they had a conversation.
2: Yeah, you you may wonder why wouldn't God why does God go to them in dreams and do these supernatural things? Remember, they don't have churches they can just go to. They mm-hmm. don't have scriptures readily available. So God goes in a lot of these countries that are really shut down to Christianity. And he just goes and talks to him in dreams. I mean, it's powerful.
0: And you can't go over there and share unless you're willing to lose your life.
2: Yeah, in many places. In yeah, many you, places. You get your head cut off. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Well, from the Ayatollah that wants peace to Iran that wants a piece of Israel, as in the country. Uh, this is from jpost.com, dated February 1st. Iran could be weeks away from enough nuclear material for a bomb. Now, yeah. I will say, we have talked about Iran and their nuclear program ad nauseum yeah. over the years. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's like chicken little. The sky is falling about. what the Chances are they've had it. They've always had it. Uh, I, anyway, you read the article, but I'm thinking that... There, it's just a matter of the delivery vehicle and the proximity yeah. to the to Israel to do it.
2: Yeah, we don't know exactly. You may be, very well be right, Greg. We've been hearing all these things. They, I think, they're a lot closer than any of us have thought. But what makes this article especially interesting is now with the new administration, they are very, very pro Iran. Yes. Well, and again, uh, they're very open to letting Iran do what they want. And um, uh, someone that, again, um, uh, President Biden just recently appointed is very anti-Israel and very pro-Iran, and that is this Mr. Blinken, and he said the administration would consider new sanctions against North Korea, as well as other possible actions against Russia. In an interview with NBC News taped on Sunday, <laughs> Blinken did not commit uh, to specific sanctions against Moscow as it reviewed the ongoing situation involving the jailed Russian leader um, that was there as they're talking about these things, including uh, issues with the fr- uh I- I- I'm sorry, about issues with Tehran's nuclear deal with world powers after French President Emmanuel Macron said new talks should include Saudi Arabia. The remarks came after the White House confirmed that veteran diplomat Robert Malley was named a special envoy for Iran. Key member, a key member of former President Barack Obama's nuclear negotiating team, Malley is a controversial figure in Israel. Now listen, here's why where he is viewed as soft on Tehran and tough on Jerusalem. Now, we're going to get into more articles, Greg, so I won't jump too far ahead, but I'm going to mention it now. You're going to see in a couple of these articles, President Biden is putting together a group of leaders that don't like Israel. They're very anti-Israel. And I would say, I'll go as bold and say, actively anti-Israel, and they're pro-Iran and other enemies of Israel, which is not a good sign for the nation of Israel, nor for America, considering that God said, I will bless those who bless Israel And I will curse those who curse Israel. Genesis 12.3. But... This is what's going on. Iranian foreign ministry spokesman uh, was quoted by the state media on Saturday saying the nuclear accord is a multilateral international agreement ratified by the U.N. Security Council. It's non-negotiable. And that was in relationship to saying we're not going to bring Saudi Arabia or anybody else in. We're keeping it like it was. We're going to move forward now and get our weapons because you guys aren't keeping your end. Uh, President Joe Biden's new administration said it would rejoin the deal which the Trump administration left in 2018, which, which was a very wise and safe thing to do, but only after Tehran resumes full compliance with its terms. I quote, it is clear that the Iranians are playing hardball, which is why the pressures on them, uh, pressure on them cannot let up, said an Israeli official. Here's the problem. America's not going to put that pressure now. Uh, the quote goes on from the Israeli official. "There's only The only hope the Iranians will compromise is if they believe that the pressure will be lifted. If pressure is lifted prematurely or that pressure will not be lifted, if pressure is lifted prematurely, one can expect no concessions from the Iranians whatsoever. Here's what he's saying. The reason this is so um, magnified, Greg, and the things you said were true, they've been working on it. They may already have stuff more than we know. But why this is so magnified is, is now there's a. A Government in place in America that won't fight them or stop them from doing it in other words They can just kind of bully their way through and put this together and get the delivery device the missile that'll take it And I believe that our administration will go. Well, you shouldn't be doing that, but we're not going to stop you President Trump would have said you shouldn't be doing that and we will stop you There's a big difference and so Israel should be nervous. They are nervous And we should be nervous as a nation because, again, we're seeing our new leadership turning aggressively against Israel. And God says, Those that bless Israel, I'll bless. And those that curse Israel, I will curse. Which means our new administration is going to lead us into cursing because God is always true to his word.
0: Mm. All right, let's get into some articles regarding America. And some of these articles, they kind of cross over into other aspects of prophecy, and that's just kind of the signs of the times we're in. Yeah. Uh, but this uh, this first article is from MSN.com. It says, Christian nationalism is a threat, and not just from the capital attackers invoking Jesus. Yeah.
2: This is huge, Greg. This is the first time I remember um, an article in a major publication that is just coming out and saying that Christians are a threat. And they're they're dangerous for the nation what's happening is you've always heard this rhetoric behind the scenes you've always heard it in smaller voices but now that people are in power that are anti-christian they're very bold yes and they know no one's going to oppose them and they're attacking Christianity. now note this believers I know I'm speaking a little bit before getting into the article but note this it's not really you they're attacking it's not the church it's not Christianity they hate Jesus. And they're attacking Jesus. And the insidious thing about this article, Greg, coming out of MSNBC. Is that they present true things that have been said and true things about Jesus in a way that's presented with the presumption they're evil and they have evil intent. So you've got this, you know, the Bible talks about lying and the Bible also talks about misrepresentation. And what you've got in this article is a gigantic misrepresentation of Christianity and the way they present it. Uh, it would be a bad thing but it's again it's it's twisted and it's um it's 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 evil let me read some of it after a portion of the mob and, and, and again this is not our opinion this is how they're presenting it, and i'll point it out after a portion of the mob entered the senate chamber on this, uh, january 6th a handful of men mounted the podium now let's just stop for a moment they're saying a group of people went in there and overtook the Capitol and did some horrible things what they're doing right now is they're telling you these were christians The way they're presenting the article, they're saying these were Christians and we're showing you how dangerous Christians are. Listen, these guys were not Christians that busted into the Capitol and got up there behind the podium. No Christian, no true Christian would do that. And yet, even as Nero blamed the fires of Rome on the Christians when he probably started them, the Christians for sure did not. What they're doing is they see a fire and they're saying the Christians did it. It's the same tactic Satan has used throughout history. He says, one of them lifted his hands and cried out, Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. They don't tell you that this was a shaman who was a witchcraft doctor. He might have invoked the name of Jesus, but who cares? He was a, he's a witch. He, he was a warlock. <laughs> this guy was a shaman. Uh, Jacob Chansley from QAnon Shaman, he calls himself. He's the guy that was wearing the, you saw the, 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 the looked like a bull or whatever, the bare chested with the horns. I don't know if you saw any of that when these guys invaded the Capitol. Uh, you know, we're in these white supremacist tattoos, etc. So what they're doing is they're saying, here is a Christian. No, friends, that is not a Christian. A Christian means to be Christ-like. It literally means little Christs. This guy was not a little Christ. He was a big antichrist. <laughs> and so he happened to break in. And they're, So watch how they twist this. Now be watching. You're going to see the media do this, Greg. Oh, yeah.
0: Because they're very they, good at from it. From
2: this point on, because what's going to happen is... The pressure and the intensity on Christians and Jews is going to turn up because it is demonic. It is not these people. It's coming from Satan himself. But they use these people to write their articles. They use these things. And again, he says, let me read list this next line. It's easy to protest when white Christian nationalism turns violent. Let me just say this. If they're a true Christian, it will never turn violent. Jesus said, be wise as serpents. Be gentle as doves. Now, if there's a war, Christians fight, and they go to war. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you've got a bunch of people attacking a building and destroying things, that's not a follower of Christ. We don't do that. But what they're doing is they're taking these people because they mentioned the name of Jesus, one guy did, and because they want to label people white Christian nationalists or whatever, they're making it look like that anyone that's a Christian is is this person that's wearing the horns and the, the tattoos and screaming, yelling, you know, witchcraft chants at the at the Capitol? It's nonsense. He goes on within the chorus of critics, and then they give, they bring in Senator Josh Hawley, a godly man. A leader of the, they say, a leader of the misinformation campaign that led for people to falsely believe that the presidential election was stolen. Listen, th- there has been proven fraud. Fraud is a fact in fraud this. Fraud is a fact. It has been proven there's fraud. The question is how much fraud. But fraud is not question. Listen, I think even if you if you cornered the most rabid liberal, I think, and if, if you finally made him admit it, I think they'd have to say, yes, some fraud happened. I think there may be some that might not because they're that rabid. But I think that if, they re- if they're if they honest, even they, and I've heard them on the news, they'll say, yes, there was some fraud. But we don't think there was enough fraud to affect the election.
0: W- was it, wasn't it in one place where they had 100,000 more votes than they had registered voters? Yes, I forget anyway, the it's number, just, but it's yes. Just, that's just one oh, example of yes, what and happened.
2: There, there was more than one example where yep. there were more votes in that state than registered voters. That right there on a simple elementary level tells you there had to be fraud so fraud is not questioned here it's the amount of fraud that they're questioning in reality but what's interesting is they're saying because Josh Hawley who's a godly man because he 's saying there was fraud in this election they 're saying he 's one of these uh, you know Christian white nationalists that could be violent. We have to watch him again, this goes to what they 're doing now and shutting down the military for the, for what sixty days or ninety days. did you hear about that they 're trying to go through the military and find anybody that they consider a radical and remove them from the military. It has begun they've,
0: they've mm. already, now
2: this is again. It's to paint the picture that there's all these Christians that want to go and attack everybody. It's to paint a picture of 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 this, you know, some insidious thing from within. When actually they're the ones that are the problem.
0: Woe to those that call good evil and evil good.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, look how they present this. All Holly said is that we need to be a godly nation, right? We need right. to be a god. But listen yeah. how they present it. They say that he believes we should all live by his interpretation of Christian values. That's nonsense. He never said that. He never told anybody that. That is a flat-out falsehood that's being presented in this article. But my point of being so passionate is they're trying to paint Christians in this picture here which is nonsense, and the whole article, Greg, I'm not going to read all of it. But again, the thing that's scary to me about this article or concerning is is that they're lumping all Christians under the banner that they create this group mm-hmm. that's dangerous. They're creating some group they say is dangerous. And then they're taking all Christians and pushing them in there and trying to use some visuals from things that happen at the Capitol and other things to say, there you go, that's the church. This is dangerous for America. What's the next thing? We have to stamp this out. Just like we're going through the military and removing all those that we think are radical to our beliefs, we need to go through our nation, and we need to thin out these Christians. We need to, we need to stamp out the opposition to the government.
0: Well, uh, you don't have to go that far back in history, Pastor Mark. To see the same tactics used by Adolf Hitler, it is prior I, I to know, World War ii Listen, I know
2: people get upset when you make these analogies, but the truth is it's the, the truth. truth. It's exactly what's happening. Again, I said that's the scary part of it. Here's what even makes it scarier: there are Christian groups out there that are standing with these guys. Listen to this. Supposed. Well, again, you're right. Well, yeah, you're right. But in, in July 2019, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty launched Christians Against Christian na- Christian Nationalism identifying as a a distortion of the gospel of christ now i'm not advocating christian nationalism by their definition i'm not sure what their definition of christian nationalism is yeah yeah so i'm not advocating that i'd have to hear what they're saying before i could say i advocate it but here's what i will say anyone that wants to help make this nation a more christian nation is only going to bring blessing on us it's only going to open up the windows of heaven and be a blessing to a nation that's slowly dying But to present those people that are doing that like we would want to do as somehow a problem that are wearing horns with tattoos and screaming at the busted in capital and say, here's Christianity. That's nonsense. It's a false picture and it needs to be pushed back on, which is why we're doing it now. But again, prophetically, where does this come in? Remember, in the last days, increased persecution on the Jews increased persecution on the Christians. This is the kind of stuff, Greg, that's going to do it. And we're simply pointing out and recognizing it. It's a false presentation by Satan and those he's using to paint Christianity in some type of evil uh, brushstroke.
0: Uh, law enforcement dot com dated February 1st. Uh, says that the uh, Secretary of State for the United States has ordered LGBT flags flown at U.S. embassies.
2: Yes. Again, I'm going to briefly mention this. Okay. This isn't so much about um, some stand against LGBT as it is what this says as a nation to God. Let me read just one paragraph, and I'll make my statement, and we'll move on. Okay. At his confirmation hearing last Tuesday, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, here's the Blinken guy we talked about. He's the new Secretary of State, confirmed that among other proposals, the Biden administration will reverse the Trump era ban on U.S. embassies flying the rainbow of pride flags. Now, here's the reason he didn't have the rainbow flags not fly because he hates people that are homosexual. He, He had them not fly because he said this is an American embassy. Why are we flying a pride flag at the American? We need to be flying the American flag. That's what flies at an American embassy. It's a very logical thing you do. Under the Obama administration, the article goes on, pride flags were displayed. Under the Trump administration, embassies were told to first seek permission to fly the pride flags on the official flagpole. So he didn't even say they couldn't do it. He just said, ask permission, and the main flag needs to be American flag. Look, that's just common sense. Why are they doing the the, the pride flags or whatever, the gay pride flags, is to further a, a political agenda And a spiritual agenda but the comment I want to make on this is this Satan knows there's no greater insult he can make to God than to question God's creation God said in the beginning he made them male and female and so you'll see this push always it's not about hating people God loves everyone and we as believers should love everyone as well we're all sinners we all need a Savior but when you exalt something that goes directly against the design of God the way God designed it when he created mankind it is an insult to God And so it's basically, I believe, Satan working through this, trying to be an insult to God, and I think maybe even unknowingly now, our government is being a part of that.
0: As we look at growing anti-Semitism, speaking of hatred of the Jews and Christians, uh, Breitbart.com is reporting that um, a uh, former anti-Israeli activist, Mar Batar, has now been appointed to the role of Senior Director for Intelligence Programs at the National Security Council.
2: Now, again, I'll read some of this, but I I wanted this in to point this out. President Biden is building a group of people that hate Israel to be those that are connected to Israel and those that are surrounding him in his administration. President Joe Biden has appointed former anti-Israel activist Matt Barr, as you said, um, who was heavily involved in the first impeachment of former President Donald Trump, to the role of Senior Director of Intelligence Programs at the National Security Council. I'm, and I quote, I'm thrilled to see him in his new post, though we will certainly miss him on the committee. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff said to Politico, I can't think of anyone more suited to the role than mayor. As Schiff's top legal advisor, Bitar, who's a Palestinian-American, there's your key, helped steward the impeachment process against President Trump, Again, he's uh, uh, one of the active board members of Students for Justice in Palestine, a radical anti-Israel campus group. Just to make this statement, remember, when you see God's hand involved in an administration, you will see those that are blessing Israel. When you see the enemy's hand involved in an administration, you will see a cursing of Israel. It's very clear to see light and dark in this situation, And again, because of what's happening here, I think we clearly see where everyone stands. We need to be aware of it, but we need to realize that it will affect us as a nation because God said, those who bless Israel, i bless, and those who curse Israel, I will curse. Keep your eye on it.
0: As we look at some pestilence, plagues, disasters, and heavy on the corruption, uh, we look at to the abuse of drugs, and we find this from TheBlaze.com, dated February 3rd, that Oregon uh, I think home to a lot of uh, antif- Antifa antifa yeah, activism right. there has become the first state now to decriminalize possession of, quote unquote, hard drugs yeah, for t- such as heroin, meth and cocaine.
2: Yes. And for time's sake, let me just say this. I wanted this article here because I want our listeners to be aware. The Bible says in the last days that sorcery, which is translated from the word pharmakia, which is where we get pharmacy. Basically, God says drug problems are going to increase in the last days. It is connected to demonism. That's why it's translated sorcery. God will judge it. Now we're watching, used to be a war on drugs. Now we're saying, let's help the drugs get right along and ruin our next generation, ruin our children. This is demonic. It is scary. It shouldn't be happening, but we're watching the collapse of our nation morally right before our very eyes.
0: All right, our last article of the day, Pastor Mark, comes from the church. This is from ChristianToday.com, uh, dated January 31st. Some pastors fear their churches, Will not survive the pandemic.
2: Yeah, finances and moving church online are just some of the areas that have added to the stress of being a pastor during the pandemic. The report, Something Other Than a Building, is based on interviews with 32 church ministers from across the island of Ireland and a spectrum of Christian denominations. Uh, they reveal for some pastors the pandemic has been marked by frequent headaches, insomnia, financial difficulties, and fears of the future church. I have more headaches in the last three months than I've had in ten years, he said. I've never taken as many uh, drugs in all my life. They were to use as paracetamol, uh, paracetamol or whatever. I'm sure it's a drug they have over there. I'm sure it's just for headaches or whatever. Um, a- in Northern Ireland, nights when I just couldn't sleep. Again, th- what they're talking about this, Greg. They're saying, look, here's what's happening: is because we're not meeting, we can't ask for people to give to the church. We don't have online presence established well, so the churches are going under. And again, my heart goes out to those that have that type of thing happening. But here's the bottom line the church doesn't need to be asking for money anyway. Where God guides, God provides. So if it's a church that God wants to make it, it will make it. If it's a church that God doesn't want to make it, it won't. And that may sound difficult, that may sound harsh. But remember, The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And when you see what's happening with a lot of the churches around the world, you have to wonder, is God not basically cleaning house in some areas and saying there are some places that call themselves churches, but my spirit's not there. I'm not saying it's these churches mentioned here. I'm simply saying um, God is the one in control of his church. If it's truly God's church, you don't have to panic about whether or not it's going to survive. It's up to God to make it survive. And if it goes under, you have to wonder, was this something God was doing anyway? So we need to be praying for the churches around us. But at the same time, we need to realize there's a real purifying effect going on for those who are really making a stand for the church and making a stand for God and doing what's right during this time of the pandemic. And um, and that's up to the Lord. So be praying for the church, but know that God's in control and his church will survive.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And the gates of hell will not prevail right, against his church. So we have to remember that. All right, Pastor Mark, thank you very much, folks. Don't forget thewaymedia.net. Just click on Signs of the Times. Everything about our program is there, including asking prophecy questions like the one we received from Lauren, who listens to us in Virginia. So we thank you for that. And we thank you folks for listening. Make sure to come back next Friday at 1.30 as we continue to discuss more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM.
1: skin, bones, and an odd collection of muscles. I am more than a father, son, or employee. I am less than the best, but more than I've been, and I always had help. Lots of help. The God who made me makes me more. He gives great gifts. He shares more than I can accept, loves more than I deserve, and he's leading me to a perfect future. I am who I am because he is who he is. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.